offering inpatient and outpatient services to Sullivan County and surrounding communities. Learn more at GarnetHealth.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll get the latest local news and our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat Managing Editor Joseph Abraham will join us live coming up in the second half of the program. Also, we got new information on HEAP. That'll be part of our weekly Sullivan County update. Patricio Rabai will have more coming up. First, we've got some details um, on that deadly incident at a Glorilla concert last night at the Main Street Armory in Rochester, New York. Rochester police are continuing to investigate. One woman died and nine others were injured, two of them critically in what witnesses described as a stampede to the venue's exits when some people thought they heard gunfire and the crowd panicked. 44-year-old Charles Switzer of Rochester said he was caught in the surge of the crowd. It's like somebody opened up a gorge of water and just all the water just started falling on you and just pushing you everywhere. And it seemed like the more people that you try to push them back, they keep pushing forward. You was pinned. Investigators have found no evidence of actual gunfire at the event. Switzer and others say a popping noise some concert goers may have mistaken for gunshots might have been the sound from a confetti gun. According to Police Chief David Smith, the casualties were caused by people being trampled. A 33-year-old woman died. Two other female concertgoers were critically injured as a crowd rushed to the exits of the building. Six other people who were caught in the crush were treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Police investigators say none of the injuries appeared to be gunshot wounds. At a news conference this morning, Rochester Police Chief David Smith and Mayor Malik Evans said they will be working with multiple agencies to determine if the venue was in compliance with all the necessary regulations. Here is Mayor Evans. As the chief said, this will require a lot of work, a lot of work from multiple agencies throughout the city, not just the Rochester Police Department, but my corporation counsel out of the mayor's office, as well as he said, the fire chief. Uh, We are going to hold people accountable for what happened last night, period. Mayor Evans calls the incident a tragedy of epic proportions and says the city of Rochester will get to the bottom of what happened. Thanks to uh, Randy Gorman of WXXI and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that reporting. In other news, in its daily newscast today, the Public News Service reports that rural upstate New Yorkers are struggling with numerous issues, many of them related to a declining population. These issues are outlined in the state of rural New York. It's a report published by the Rural Housing Coalition of New York. Edwin J. Vieira has more. The state of rural New York examines about a decade's worth of data and rural counties experienced a population decline of 50,000 people. This was twice the rate of urban counties in the state. Other issues rural areas are facing include aging housing stock, which isn't designed for seniors or people with limited mobility. Mike Borges with the Rural Housing Coalition of New York says one part of the solution to revitalize rural counties begins with better funding for numerous programs, including those that allow people to age in place. 
We are advocating for more funding for access to home, Restore, which are two programs that allow the disabled and senior citizens to stay in their homes and can, you know, do repairs and make the homes more accessible to the disabled so they can stay in their communities. He adds other solutions are providing funding to rural communities for small rental development projects and affordable workforce housing. A 2020 report shows the Lake Placid community has an unmet need of over 1,500 workforce and affordable housing units. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. And thanks again to Public News Service for that report. And we are committed to covering the housing issues here on the local edition. We've been doing that. We anticipate to do it a lot more in the coming year. So do listen for more reporting as we bring it to you. Also, if you missed my interview with Adrian Jensen, Executive Director of Sullivan County's Human Rights Commission, talking about the housing crisis in Sullivan County exactly two weeks ago on this program. If you missed it, go to WJFFradio.org. It's there at WJFFradio.org. Or sign up for the Local Edition podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. That's the Local Edition from Radio Catskill. And right now on the Local Edition, it's time for our weekly check-in with Sullivan County. The Home Energy Assistance Program, HEAP, or HEAP, in New York State provides financial assistance to eligible households to help cover their heating costs during the winter months. In response to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and the increased financial strain it has placed on many households, the state has announced a second emergency HEAP benefit that will be available uh, now, I think starting today. To help you better understand this program and how to apply for it, Radio Catskills' Patricio Robayo had a chance to speak to Rosemary Wolf, Sullivan County's HEAP coordinator. He first asked her to remind us what exactly is HEAP. Okay, HEAP is a supplemental program that was put in place to help assist families pay for heating costs during the coldest winter months. Its purpose was specifically to help clients who were struggling to be able to provide heat to their homes in the coldest of the winter months when having heat is vitally important. It has grown. It has morphed over the years. There are additional benefits that are provided by the state, and they're meant to assist in many different ways. It is particularly geared toward the winter heating months. Heat historically starts in November and ends in the spring. It's not meant to be a year-round program, um, and it is not meant to pay somebody's entire fuel bill. It's to hope, hopefully subsidize them and get through the toughest times. This is the second round of HEAP, an emergency HEAP. Is that unusual for to have a second round of HEAP? Well, I will tell you, historically, HEAP has one regular and one emergency benefit. Maybe about a year before the pandemic, they came out with a second emergency benefit. Due to the extreme cold and the heavy snow, some winters, since the pandemic hit, the state of New York has come out with two and three uh, emergency benefits. We've had the past two seasons prior to this, there were four benefits in total. And there also are emergency electric benefits for clients who were struggling to pay their electric bill. And while they did not have electric heat, if they did not have electricity, their furnace would not run. So there was a supplemental benefit we could give for a family if they received a termination notice on their electric bill that would impact their ability to run their furnace. What are the eligibility requirements for the emergency heat benefit in New York State? You know, it's a, it's a financial. There's income guidelines. 
and a household in the state of New York can apply for heat benefit uh, as long as they are required to pay for their own heat in a rental unit or if they own their home. And it's all set by income. But a family of four could gross $5,485 a month and still be HEAP eligible. It's a much larger income guideline than several of the other programs that the county offers. So there is a much broader spectrum of eligibility for folks in Sullivan County. I know with inflation, everything has gone up, everything in the grocery stores to the gas pump, and of course, the heating season, the heating oil, everything. The bills I'm seeing this year are so much higher than previous years. Terrible. Terrible. When heap season initially opened, fuel oil was up at the better part of five, six dollars a gallon, and kerosene was seven dollars and fifty cents a gallon. Thankfully, fuel oil has leveled off, but kerosene continues to be a difficult commodity to get, and the price has remained at seven dollars and forty nine cents a gallon, which makes a standard nine hundred and seventy six dollar benefit issued by the county barely generates 150 gallons. This was a big reason why the second benefit was this year. People were just struggling with the costs initially at the beginning of the heap season and a benefit that would have secured a family a couple of hundred gallons of fuel was barely getting them 150. Wow, that's that's amazing. And, you know, this might be off topic, but from what I understand, the reasoning why things are going up, like say kerosene, is the supply issue. We're having a trouble with our supply chain globally, and obviously this is affecting us here locally, from what I understand. Yes, yes, because we're, we're importing all of our oil. It's a supply and demand thing. This not only helps with the heating oil, but helps with other items in your heating system. Is that correct? We do, in fact, have a replacement or a repair program where customers who are eligible for an actual heat benefit in terms of a fuel commodity, if they should have a furnace breakdown uh, or a furnace die completely or other components of their heating system, such as uh, an oil tank that would hold your fuel oil, components such as that that have broken down. The heat department does have a repair and replacement program, and we you can apply for that program. It's a little bit more of a complicated application, uh, and it requires proof of home ownership, but it's a tremendous help. They'll pay up to $8,000 to replace a furnace for somebody. And what we have come across this season is a tremendous amount of people who have needed to replace their fuel tanks. They've either become unstable or unlevel, or they're leaking, or water has gotten in them, and fuel companies are refusing to deliver to customers if they do not repair or replace their tank. So we've done, that's a new branch we've opened up, and we've done quite a few uh, tank replacements for customers as well. You mentioned the eligibility for this was for home ownership. And I know you mentioned the renters previously. I just want to make sure that the heat benefits are also available for renters. Absolutely. If you rent an apartment, but you're responsible for your own heat, you are most certainly heat eligible. That's great news. Now we are in March. While we're still in the heating season, the cooling season is right around the corner. Are there any benefits that folks can take 
to help during the cooling season, during the summer, during the summer months? The state now has a cooling component that is offered through our office. It begins May the 1st, and it is scheduled to run through August 31st or until funds run out. And that program essentially uh, will pay up to a certain amount of dollars to provide a home with an air-conditioned room, one room in the home as a cooling room, and you must have a documented medical condition that is made worse by exposure to extreme heat or humidity. And you know how humid it can get up here in the summer months. So people with breathing conditions, people with heart conditions, um, there's any one of a number of medical conditions. And if you can have your doctor provide a note and you were HEAP eligible and received HEAP in the past, the county can provide you with an air conditioner in the summer months so that one of the rooms in your home is cooling. And we'll have a vendor come out, measure the room, see how many BTUs would be required to effectively cool that room. And then they would come back and install the unit, show the owner how to operate it, and then the agency will pay for that. Wow, you're literally saving lives there just with that act of putting an air conditioner or some kind of cooling unit in a person's home. Like you said, the eligible requirements is to have a condition that is affected by heat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the with the extremes in temperatures lately, uh, it may not always be hot, but we've had some real bad heat waves in the past couple of seasons. Uh, and it's been a huge help for people. It really has. The one caveat I have to mention is, though, obviously with any air conditioner, the usage increases your electric bill. The county does not have a program in place to help alleviate your summer electric bill as a result of use of your air right. conditioner. So if someone's listening to this and, and have a, or have a loved one who might benefit from this, where can they go to apply? Um, well, we will put out an announcement. There'll be a press release. We'll make announcements just before opening. But effective May 1st, they could go to the county website. They can look up the mybenefits.ny.gov site. They could call us directly. We could send them out a cooling application. They could contact the Sullivan County Office for the Aging in Monticello. They could contact Action Towards Independence in Monticello, or they can contact Independent Living in Monticello. All of these are alternate certifiers with us, and they can point them in the right direction as to a cooling app. Historically, though, what we would do is mail any client who requested it, the application. It's a little one-page thing. You fill it out. You document for us. We have a list of vendors that participate in Sullivan County. You document for us which vendor you would like to utilize. You send the application back in. We authorize it and notify the vendor you've been approved. And then you negotiate with the vendor when's a convenient time for them to come to your house, assess your needs, and provide you with your cooling unit. And how about the HEAP? Is, what's the application and steps they had to take to apply for HEAP? A standard HEAP application is, is roughly about five or six pages. Again, it's one of the shorter of any of the applications. And you can access that online at mybenefits.ny.gov. You can contact any of the previously mentioned alternate certifiers. They all have applications available. We could, you could contact the agency here at 807-0142 and press option number two. And any of the HEAP staff would be glad to mail an application directly to your home. 
You can always come in in person, complete the application with the assistance of one of our staff members, receive notification of what documentation we would need, and that usually tends to hurry the process along for families that are dangerously close to running out of fuel. Rosemary, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on you want our listeners to know about? We always have the Clean and Tune program, which is offered through the HEAP department essentially year-round. And what I would urge people to do is file for their Clean and Tunes in the summer months. We've had a real problem with people trying to request Clean and Tunes in February and March, and the vendors are too busy to get out and service their furnaces in a timely fashion. The off months is a great time to contact a fuel vendor and schedule clean and tunes. And again, if you are eligible, if you received a heat benefit through Sullivan County, Sullivan County will pay for this service for you. Well, we're talking to Rosemary Wolf, Sullivan County's heat coordinator, letting us know by heat and the upcoming cooling season. Rosemary, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thanks for having us. We will look forward to speaking to you again. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi, this is Laura Flanders, and you can catch The Laura Flanders Show, which I produce right here in a cabin in Sullivan County every Monday night at 7 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You'll hear interviews with social critics, artists, activists, and entrepreneurs, forward thinkers who are building tomorrow's world today. Deep conversations about change with the leading thinkers and doers of our time. That's The Laura Flanders Show, Monday night, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Laura Flanders Show is coming right up next. First, we have the second half of the local edition. And it is a Monday, so that means what we're doing is we're checking in for the latest news roundup from the Sullivan County Democrat, or weekly news roundup on Monday evenings with managing editor Joseph Abraham. Joe, welcome back to the program. Oh, always great to be here. (laughs) Even though it's not great that it's a Monday, at least you've had all day to get used to it. Hey, I was pretty productive today. There was some poll out about uh, something about called Meaningless Mondays or something with, Mm. like, employment uh across it so hey listen you're doing a great job with the show i got through a deadline day so i think it was a pretty good month there you go yeah no it was a busy day over here too there's a lot of news that we're going through getting ready for the whole week here but what are what are you looking at we usually start with uh checking in about what's up with the sullivan county legislature especially you know they have their meeting late last week and you're looking at they, they had a request for proposals to uh, uh promote tourism services what's what's the purpose of this re request for uh proposals issued by the legislature sure so for context a few years ago the legis- this current legislature redid the agreement with the Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association as mm. far as how much uh you know the shared revenue that you know we get from tourism bed tax revenues uh that they would receive and uh so the county actually made a tourism enhancement uh, tourism sector enhancement grant program, and uh, this is what we have been discussing multiple times on the local edition, where there was more time arguing too about who should serve on this committee and all that that jazz. But at right. this point, where we're at today is that the legislature um, was voting on a resolution of whether or not they should put out requests for proposals, 
with the intention of seeking not-for-profits that could support and create new events in Sullivan County. Uh, what preceded uh, this vote was uh, during the Economic Development Committee, every month the Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association uh, has a representative there to give a presentation on what they've been up to. And their, uh, their chairperson for their board of directors, Eric Francis, who's also the uh, most people know him as the CEO of Bethel Woods, uh, made a pitch for the SCVA to receive a 20% increase in funding, uh, explaining how their events uh, play a part in the growing tourism industry in the county and how their focus should um, not only be to continue to promote past recurring events, but to create new ones. Uh, Legislative Chairman Rob Doherty, uh, commenting on this report, uh, stated that the SCVA is uh, contracted to fund the promotion of their events without any additional funds outside of which uh, is allotted via the bed tax revenues. He also claimed their operating budget went from $1.2 million to $2.4 million in just two years. Uh, so he pretty much asked why the legislature should they vote to uh, give them more money. So uh, the uh, on the RFP votes, uh, you know, District uh, 7, before the vote, Legislator Joe Perillo said that this decision should be left up to the next legislature, which, just to give listeners out there a timeline, elections are in November, so this new <laughs> legislature wouldn't start until next January. But then Majority Leader Alan Sorensen was like, listen, I understand you know, some of the colleagues' discomfort and the issuing of RFP, but thought it couldn't hurt to see what other ideas were out there, even though they thought the SCVA was doing a good job. So the RF, uh, Nadia Reich, one of the legislators, was not present, uh, but the RFP resolution passed, the resolution seeking RFP passed 5-3 with legislators Ira Steingart, Joe Perillo, and Louis Alvarez voting in opposition of it. So, well, you know, this is an ongoing saga uh, with tourism, it seems, or, or the best way to, uh, you know, listen, obviously tourism is the bread and butter of the Catskills. It's been, uh, it's a, our probably, it's our biggest industry. And, uh, you know, so there's still some discussions going on between multiple stakeholders and, and government officials on, on how to delegate some of this money and maybe look to create more. Um, right. But I mean, so so this request for proposal—you're talking about a request for proposals for what would essentially be a new visitors association or a replacement for uh, the visitors association. Not so much a replacement. So the SCVA would still have their chunk of, of funds and, and do their thing, but this would just be uh, an addition, essentially, uh, or a group that would be looked at to uh, to create new events. So that would be. So it's not getting rid of the visitors association. It's just an additional sort of piece to this tourism puzzle. Huh. Yeah, I'm I find myself actually confused by the story that you just told me here. Like what do 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 people are there still people that, that have an issue with the visitors association? Like is it is it a matter of people don't think the visitors association are doing a good enough job or is it a matter of there's more to do than the visitors association has the ability to do? Uh, I, you know, traditionally it seems there's just certain legislators who feel that, uh, you know, it would be best to get another, I guess, uh, person at the table. So, uh, I, I don't know if it's so much that they don't think the SCVA is doing a good job per se, but there, there have been different arguments and, and stuff by different legislators about, um, you know, maybe of wanting to seek uh, additional people to um you know be involved so <laughs> it's not it's not you it's me i just think we should see other people but we're not breaking up yeah pretty much that's a good <laughs> analogy. okay like well that. there that's you good. go all right so um now uh okay well you know 
so, so this is a lot on, on that that we just went through. And, uh, is there anything else on that story that we didn't get to that you need to get to? No, no, I'm ready for the second uh, topic. Great. So in Livingston Manor, uh, there's a broad care Livingston Manor farm project. Um, can you remind folks what that is? And, yeah, uh, yeah, and they recently yeah, had a public a, hearing, right? Yeah. So pretty much Broadacre slash Livingston Farm is uh, this project that's sort of been out there for two and a half to three years. It's changed a little bit uh, since it was originally proposed. It's located on a 117-acre mountainside former dairy farm uh, on 26 Hogue Road uh, in Livingston Manor, and it's currently proposing a 15-lot subdivision as well as construction of nine residential homes with an agritourism operation, including a regenerative farm, 42-unit campground, and hotel with a restaurant and guest house. So if you thought the last topic was confusing, this is going to be fun. So every project has to go through a state uh, environmental quality review act, these big projects through the planning board. Uh, and uh, if you actually want to get a negative declaration, not a positive declaration, um, because your a negative declaration pretty much means that they don't see it having any uh, possible adverse impacts on the environment. So this project actually got a positive declaration from the planning board in November, which meant that a draft environmental impact statement had to be prepared uh, to sort of address uh, these possible adverse impacts on the environment. Uh, so pretty much they're in this process where a draft scope is out there, where the where the planning board has sort of put some things that they want to see addressed. Uh, and the purpose of this scoping session or, and public hearing was to get the public to come in. Uh, the developer answered some questions, gave a little overview of the project, um, what they've done to address some of the previous issues, but the public that were there are asking additional questions. All of this is creating as uh, the uh, chairwoman for the uh, planning board, Jennifer Grossman explained, is sort of a table of content that needs to be addressed by the developer um, in this environmental impact statement uh, down the road in order for them to possibly even see if the board would agree for them to move forward with the project. Uh, so one of the partners of the project was there, uh, talked about how they only want to develop a small portion of the land and uh, how they've been working. Uh, stormwater runoff has been a big concern uh, with the property by the public. Uh, also, as you know, because I know you're very familiar with that region of the uh, of the county, that you know, Manor hasn't had a shortage of floods over the years. Yeah. So uh, there's obviously concerns about what all this possibly means. So uh, the the developers' representatives talking about you know, some of the stuff they did to try to alleviate stormwater. Uh, they uh, planted 1,500 native trees on the property to try to accelerate the reforestation process. Uh, they uh, are going to have some produce and vegetable production there, some of which will be used at the restaurant on site. Um, and then the other plan is to work with several nonprofits to promote access to healthy foods, who would have a subplot, you know, of the dedicated use of the barn on the property, which is uh, very old. Uh, it's been around since the 1800s, would be turned into sort of the community hub with a full-service restaurant. There's like these cabin uh, agritourism components. I think he actually used the term hobbit houses. <laughs> uh, to describe them, and uh, and there's also a trail network, and then obviously the public weighed in on it. They had some concerns about possible closeness of the trail system to people's land. You know, will you be able to use Hogue Road for anything other than emergency access because it is a very narrow road? Could the town support the sewage uh, effect on local wildlife? And there's also talk about possible creation of a new road off of Creamery Road 
And so there was concerns about that road possibly being created, the mechanism like blasting or how it would be created and what that could mean for the environment. So at this point, uh, the public can still write comments. All this information on the project is available on the town's website under the planning board header. Uh, and people can look at that. If they want to make comments, they can do so up to St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. Then by April 1st, the planning board will kind of finalize the scope. It'll go back to the applicant to address the items in the draft environmental impact statement. Once that's done, there'll be another public hearing, and then the board will evaluate the DEIS, the public's comments, and then if all is well, they'll move on to the process of a final environmental impact statement. So long story short, this has got a long way to go. But um, right. but the public was able to weigh in on it, and uh, you know they can see more about it in a very long article that I wrote for tomorrow's paper. So. <laughs> and that you worked all day on making sure it gets out. The new edition of the Sullivan County Democrat hits newsstands and the web uh, tomorrow. And we've been talking to managing editor Joe Abraham, giving us big updates on big stories in our area. Joe, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. All right. Always great. Catch up with you guys next week. Thanks so much. Well, that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. News and information we're keeping you connected to Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania, only here on Radio Catskill. Listen local on air, online at WJFFradio.org, on your smartphone or your smart device. You can even ask Alexa to play Radio Catskill. Sign up for the Radio Catskill podcast wherever you get your podcasts from and stay right where you are because we got Laura Flanders up next talking to uh, black journalists about police violence. Brand new episode of Laura Flanders show coming up. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from 52 and Vine, a wine and spirit shop in Jeffersonville featuring local, national and eclectic vintners and distillers. 52andvine.com from the Upper Delaware Welcome Center at the Narrowsburg Union, featuring information about regional attractions and activities, along with products by the region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. NarrowsburgUnion.com.